G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I can still clearly remember her turning to me and she was pregnant, expecting her young daughter and she said, Ah, now I'm getting too big. Bye, it's your turn to take over the class. (laughs) And I thought, me? You've got to be kidding. (laughs) And that was my first sort of introduction to teaching children about God. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Karen Hunt describes Violet Langan as a beautiful woman with a big, beautiful, loving heart. She's a Fiji-born Australian who's been Aussie-based for over 30 years now and has worked in many places in many roles over the years. But the main pull of her heart has always been to work with children. Today, we'll find out her story and how the Lord has opened up doors in her life so she's been able to be a blessing to others. By the early part of your journey, tell us where you grew up, what life was like for you as a young girl, and what you hoped to do one day, even back then. I grew up in Fiji. My father was a boilermaker welder. He originally came from a little village. Um, in fact, we own an island. Nobody can really say that, eh? <laughs> but that's where um, my father grew up. But because fishing couldn't sustain his family, he was married to my mother. They only had two children at that time. But he said he went to get a trade because through his work he could support mum and my two brothers and sisters at that time. I had a wonderful upbringing. We were rich even though, you know, monetarily we didn't have anything. Richness considered of one good dress, two pairs of pants, sandals for your feet and food on the table. And my mum was a woman of faith. We started off with the word of God and prayer of a night time at six o'clock. Didn't matter what we were doing in the afternoon, we had to be home to have the word of God. And that was our Bible study. And because she couldn't read, we read the Bible from a very early age, I think from about Uh, Two or three, we knew the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. And that has been a verse that I've taught faithfully to my own daughter, but also to foster children that I've looked after, over 200 of them. And I've learned more about his word through teaching RE, now being an RE teacher for over 30 years in our state schools here. But getting back to home, my father worked for the sugar mills. We had the best of both worlds because we had accommodation provided for us. We had a roof over our head, but we had to get up early in the morning when the Muslim kids got up to prayer at five o'clock. That was our alarm clock to get up and go and water the garden because we had a veggie patch. My father believed in um, getting up early 
and it's actually biblical. If you want to accomplish anything, you get up early and you prepare for the day. So an average day of getting up at home was we knew our chores. We got up at five. Um, we didn't have any hose pipe, you know, to go and water the garden. So it was tins of sunshine milk. Um, we had to make our own tools, put the nail in the bottom of the tin, take our bucket, fill it up, and go to our veggie patch and water the garden that way. From there, we went to school. We were privileged to uh, go to a school that was sponsored by South Pacific Sugar Mills um, when I grew up. We had teachers from Australia, um, New Zealand, and England. They were teachers that came out. Their husbands usually came out to work at the mills, and so their wives were teachers, and they taught us at school. And so we didn't know what a green sleeve was, but, you know, our songs was, Green sleeves was my delight. We didn't know what we were <laughs> singing about, but we knew Oliver Twist. We did at school plays. They opened up a world of, you know, classic music, but we called it up and down music, you know. <laughs> Even though we were musical, we knew the guitar and the ukulele, we didn't know about pianos and trumpets and, and sounds. The only instrument we knew was uh, trumpets from the Word of God. And so we take different parts and that's why I think we can harmonize really well and so really we just knew that we were loved accepted and valued from a very early age I remember sitting in our lounge room floor and we didn't have any tv but the radio was on must have been eight at that time and there was a song that came I think it was a song that God had planted in my heart and it was called I'm nobody's child and I remember just bawling my eyes out and saying, Oh, Mom. And she said to me, What are you crying for, girl? <laughs> I said, Oh, Mom, this girl, she's nobody's child. And my mom, who, um, when she was born, her mother died, said to me, You are somebody's child. You are the daughter of the king. In her limited learning, she knew things that grounded us because it was her word of faith. My father, he was more community-based. He used to tell us girls, because in our culture, girls weren't considered as valuable as boys. And because I had six other sisters and three brothers, he used to say, anything a boy can do, you girls can do better. And I thank my father for that. He taught us in any given sphere, we can do anything that we put our hands to. So from an early age... Uh, community projects like building our bus shelter and um, having a co-op building this, the school and also the hospital and so it was in our genes to do community work but I never really knew what that looked like later on. So you grew up in a faith-filled home. Your dad as you're saying was a real community man Tell us about your involvement with Red Cross. Tell us about the Miss Buller competition, Vi. Oh, gosh. I went to a Catholic school because my dad said having a Christian-based teaching from God's Word was uh, best, and it cost him a lot of money to send us to school. But 
right from an early age, I went into community projects. Like I was the coordinator for Red Cross at Xavier College in Bar. I um, helped with the Christian, you know, Crippled Children Association. Anything to do with helping others, we were there. <laughs> but we learned from my mother because even though there was 10 of us, she actually brought up. My dad eventually became a supervisor of Boilermaker and Welders. And so a lot of his men that worked under him, they wanted an education for their children. But because they were in the bush and it was so hard for their kids to get to school, we had Indian kids, we had Fijian kids come stay with us. And they lived under the house. They made a cubby, but my mom was the one that fed us. So I learned from home. It's almost like what the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're older, they will never stray far from it. So I was already in training to help others because I saw the example of my mother actually open our homes, even with 10 of us in that small home. Um, she taught us that whatever it is that you had to share it. And there were pros and cons to that because as a child we never really had our rooms to ourselves. There was always family or uncles or aunts or whoever that came that we gave up our rooms. And yes, in one sense it was great that we helped others, but in it we grew up not really knowing what was ours to give to others and so that's why as even children that are grown up in Christian homes we give out so much that in the end if we don't know why we're doing this who's put that into us and have God's word in us it's only through Jesus that we can do these things effectively because he's the one that gave us that gift where in hindsight we did it without thinking loving God first of all loving others as much as we love ourselves I never really got that other part loving others as much as we love ourselves I never really loved myself because if you don't have his love in you you can't really give out his love to others he's the end and all we can go and do good works but if it's in our own strength it has no fruit to it because we get run down it is so hard to always be giving but if we don't go back to the source the giver of life we can't do it for ourselves and for our families and for anyone else that's what I learned now in hindsight from where I was at home Vi you were saying how your family owned their very own island mm-hmm. but you've now been on this very big island of Australia for more years than you were actually on your own island. Tell us the story. How did you originally come to Australia and why did you stay? Well, I fell in love with an awesome Australian guy. (laughs) His name's Graham Langan. I met him through my sister. He um, was an engineering um, surveyor that came out to work on our hydro project scheme uh, back in Fiji. I met him in the bank, my first job, and he found out that I was my big sister, Rosalind's sister, and wanted to find out more about me. But before he got caught up with me, I accepted the job to um, to fly in the airlines. So I was off there for about a year. And when I came back again, I met him at one of the international hotels. He was different from a lot of Australians that I'd met, mainly because he was a loner, and I kind of liked that. It was weird in some ways. I'm a 
a communal person. I love everyone, but I loved Graham's quite confident. And also, he asked me questions that I never really asked myself. Why am I here? Um, what it is that I love to do? Nobody had asked me that before. I eventually married him. That's how I ended up in Australia. In the end, um, what I learned now was uh, he ended up being a lecturer at TAFE. And after working as a civil engineer, he said he won't be fit enough to be jumping out of helicopters. So he went to do his uh, Bachelor of Education at university. I, I felt that we grew apart. I was very needy. And yes, I loved Jesus, and I knew Jesus loved me. In fact, he used to say, go to church. He wasn't a believer, but he was a good man. Um, and he says, when you come back from church, you, you're more happy and, and that. Um, but he didn't want to know really about the Lord Jesus because I didn't really know my Savior. I accepted him as my Savior, but I wasn't really spirit-fed, and I didn't know him as my Lord. In this journey, um, we divorced. I've got a beautiful daughter who's um, 26. Um, one thing I knew is before uh, we got a divorce, I said to him, Graham, I want you to swear on the Bible that you divorce me, but you'll never divorce my daughter. He put his hand on that Bible, and I said, every blessing will come to you because you're doing what you're supposed to do and be there for her. You know, it is so um, hurtful when your marriage sort of splits up and I know a lot of it was because I didn't know who I was. I was just my father's daughter and then I became his wife. I didn't really know who I was um, as a woman. What is it that, you know, gifts and talents that he'd given me, I, I didn't know what purpose it was. I thought I was just somebody's wife and then from there somehow everything will work out. But marriage is so hard. You've got to work at it and have the same goals and from different cultures. You know, I came from a culture that was so giving that we um, would give up our room and give up everything to accommodate people, whereas Graham grew up in a culture where you look after your family first and then others, if you have time or if you have money, then you look after them. I learned that there's no wrong or right way it's just doing it together, working out what's right for your family at that given time. So how old was your daughter when your marriage dissolved? Uh, my daughter was six years old when the divorce papers came through. And for a long time, I was an angry black woman. Oh my goodness, this anger. I just felt that I was betrayed by him. He's supposed to love me. But I was not very lovable and I don't blame the man for running away as fast as he could from me because I was not very, um, you know how Jesus said, we must be loving and caring and giving. No, I did not portray those qualities because I really didn't know whose I was. So what did you end up pursuing personally for your own development? Well, I was a stay-at-home mum when I had Jessie but Mrs. Ruth Ogunmurgen, she was a teacher and she said to me, Vi come you can be my helper in Ari and I used to go along with her and help give out all the um, you know, stuff that she needed help with, just you know, go alongside her, sing the songs, whatever Are you talking about Ari in the local state schools where you were living? 
yes. The first uh, school that she got me into was at Berenba State School. I can still clearly remember her turning to me and she was pregnant, expecting her young daughter and she said, ah, now I'm getting too big, Vi, it's your turn to take over the class. <laughs> and I thought, me? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> and that was my first sort of introduction to teaching children about God. But in the process, I learned more from the children and learned more of God in reading the Bible every day and being prepared for my class in Ari. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Violet Langan, and we're hearing her life journey and how she's always had a heart to help others, especially children. We'll hear more of Violet's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Violet Langan, who she affectionately describes as a beautiful woman with a big, beautiful, loving heart. Next, we'll find out some of the ways the Lord has opened up doors in her life so she's been able to help others, especially children. Vi, you were just sharing with me how, in a particular season of your life, trying to discover who you were, the purposes of God in your life, you were working as a youth worker in Logan, southeast Queensland. You're also working for money in your local post office. What was it that happened in, as you said, the dead letter room that changed your life? <laughs> well... In Isaiah, there was a dream that God had given to me. Um, it was like a vision, and there were kids from all over the world. It wasn't actually young people or old people. It was just people from all different nations. And because of my background in hospitality in Fiji, I knew the different dialects, like uh, languages, from Germany and all all different um, Australians. You know, you all got different accents from New Zealanders um, to you name it. Um, but I never really knew. All I knew is I said, Lord, send me. I lived in um, Logan at uh, Woodridge. All around me were wonderful people, but a lot of single mums, and they had a lot of children. Um, on Friday nights, we used to have youth group at my home, and so these kids, they came from different backgrounds. You know, they were Croatians, and I got to know um, the children mainly to feed them because Friday nights was uh, barbecue night and the fee that I charged was they got to listen to the word of God. <laughs> That's all I asked of them is they come with a listening ear. I learned that God has given me more spiritual children than I could ever dream of and it is just a wonder and a privilege to have this opportunity to be a mother to all these kids. From there, um, I ended up in the dead letter office at Australia Post at Underwood 
What does that mean? The dead letter office. Serious. What does that mean? Basically, it's a place where mail that's sent to recipients don't get there because those people have moved on and they didn't leave a forwarding address for us to return the mail to. When I look at it now, it's almost like um, God has put us here and we don't know what our purpose is until we send people back to the Father. (laughs) And in that way, I've been teaching RE really to show them that they are not here because their mother and father decide they want a baby. They are here because God planted them here. And there's a God-given hole that only He can fill. And it's all connecting. And as I learned, it happened where my sister's daughter, she's 16 years old from Fiji, gets a scholarship to go and study law. And this girl is so bright that she did a double degree in the space of two and a half years. But we came to Bond University and we went to the barista cafe and I closed my eyes and I started to cry because I could hear languages from all over the world. There were Malaysian kids, there were German kids, there were Australian kids, there were New Zealand kids. And I turned to my sister and I said, I think God is saying for me to come and look after Glennis as she does her degree. All I asked from the Lord was, Lord, give me favor with my boss so that I can move and also... Give me a church that I can belong to where your word is preached and they have life cell group. Um, Within a week, I was here, had a house, walked into King's Christian Center and Pastor Russ Harmon, his first time in introducing life cell groups, asked the congregation to start on this journey of life with life groups. Share with us what it is you're involved with right now. What's your heart right now for your community and for the young people in your current world? Well, um, I've been very privileged in working in, you know, training colleges. And in this journey of life, we don't really know the skills that we acquire. All I know is if you help others achieve what they want to do, then you will be helped in the process. And so my community development work taught me how it takes a village to raise a child. It's biblical principles that, yes, um, we know whose we are. God has gifted us in certain areas. We are the priests and the kings in those um, seven different spheres of influence, whether it be in media, whether it be in medicine, whether it be in education, um, in sport, in the different um, fields that we study in. God has placed Christians there for a purpose so that we can nurture others to find their fulfillment in what it is that they're doing, ultimately to share the love of God and win souls for Christ. That's where I'm at at the moment. And basically, that's where I'm flying up to Gladstone with a pastor that has apostolic anointing, Pastor Robina Thompson. Um, she's 
a Maori lady that's uh, nurtured into the AOG church up there. And she's in community. And what I'm doing is one networking with others to get those who either are still at school or left school to get equipped so that they can, one, support themselves and train, and two, do what God's put them on the planet to do. Violet, it's been an absolute pleasure to share with you this morning a coffee and a conversation, and I truly pray God's blessing and favour on all that he has in store for you, and for the young people especially, that he's going to bring across your path. Thanks for joining me today. I just give all honor and praise to him in all of this doing, in this journey of life. I've made so many mistakes, but it's together. The same thing that Jesus called his disciples. They had different gifts and talents, and uh, they turned the world upside down for him. (laughs) But we want to turn it the right side up because that's the way it is when we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wherever it is that you are on this journey, you're never ever alone. His promise is he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Thank you for listening and God bless. Amen, Vi. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Violet Langan, who she affectionately describes as a beautiful woman with a big, beautiful, loving heart. And I think we could hear it in the tone of her voice. What a special person. I think she's living the embodiment of these verses found in the book of Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And above all, these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, thanks for joining us for Violet's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The strange thing about Sam's life was that because his habit became to bounce back, ironically, it became harder to believe that Samuel would die than it became easier. So there was a strange dynamic towards the end those last months but when the cancer came in the spinal fluid as the cns disease that's called as well as in the bone marrow we're like whoa and so he he faded from us gradually and in the end i think probably i couldn't have asked for a more gentle decline and death journalist morag swartz has written a book about her son called being sam she describes it as a memoir of his life and death Sam was born with Down syndrome in 1994 and a few years later was diagnosed with leukaemia. We'll find out how God helped her along a difficult journey next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.